afternoon and welcome. It's a delight to have you back as we continue our series on trust, learning to live with certainty. Shara B'tochen of the great Rabbeinu Bachaya. This is our 91st episode in studying the actual text material. We're in the fourth chapter. This is the 18th segment. And let me begin by refreshing your memory and reminding you that we were talking about people's misguided quest for honor. You see, as Rabbeinu Bachaya continues to troubleshoot and to look at how people go wrong because they lack faith and trust in Hashem, he had initially talked about people who pursue wealth because they want the money. And he said, that doesn't really work. The money you have may not be destined for you. The money you receive is not necessarily the result, in fact, necessarily not the result of your efforts and your labors. And we'll talk about that at the end of today's class as well. But Rabbeinu Bachaya kind of interrupted the focus on success where people expend enormous amounts of effort and toil trying to achieve success, not realizing that the efforts are basically a waste of time. But Rabbeinu Bachaya talked about another major reason that people spend so much of their time trying to build wealth and capital. They want honor not to be sure. Everybody wants to be treated with dignity. There isn't anything wrong with that. Nobody appreciates being dishonored. Nobody appreciates being treated like less than a human being. It's natural. It's almost an innate part of our humanity to want to be respected. So many people are on a misguided quest, though thinking that money brings them the honor. In fact, it doesn't. And we talked about this in great detail in the previous episode. Rabbeinu Bachaya addressed the people who have a tendency to be weak in their betachan, in the trust in Hashem, so they're hoarding money for their future needs. And then he went on to talk about the other reason that people are amassing wealth. They think the money will bring them honor. And they're pursuing their wealth not because they want to have zeros in the bank account, but because they seek self-aggrandizement. And this is, of course, a very big mistake. I entitled today's class, 
cause celeb or cause celebra, which is a, an interesting countable noun, as they call it, because it can be applied both singularly as well as in the plural. It, it's actually quite elastic. The term cause celebra in its origin is actually French. Cause in French means a case, and celebre or celeb means famous. And the phrase originates with a 37 volume of a novelle of causes celebres that was published in the 18th century. It was a collection of reports of well-known French court cases from the 17th and 18th centuries, and it eventually made its way into the English language. It actually has a Jewish connection there. In 1894, when Alfred Dreyfus was convicted for espionage, this was a period in which England and France were um, in an age of reproachment and they were trying to create better political ties or closeness. And at that time, there were many words that kind of migrated across the English Channel into the English language. Of course, celebre in today's day and age is invariably known as controversial issues that catch the public eye and cause a great deal of public attention. Oftentimes, a cause celebre is the kind of thing that is associated with widespread controversy, heated public debate. And I'd like to note the fact that oftentimes the public attention that's given to something can obscure the facts rather than clarify them. And it's documented that the true causes for certain things sometimes are only recovered after the scandals and the controversy or the obfuscation has died down and faded away. And I wanted to call tonight, today's episode the Cause Celebre because in my mind this precisely encapsulates what Rabbeinu Bahaya wants to convey to us. There's so much of a kerfuffle and attention that's paid to certain things that it becomes the source of confusion. It leads people astray. It, it, it uh, kind of disables them from seeing reality and truth as it is. And we, in our classes, are seeking the truth and nothing but the truth. We will identify the real cause for both honor and success. And it's not what most people think. So let's talk about honor. That's going to be the opening part of, of uh, today's episode. Rabbeinu Bechaya used the word gorem, the cause. I don't think it's a word he's used prior. The first time he talks about the cause. And he says, the cause of people pursuing money for honor is essentially rooted in the folly of the populace, the ame ha'aretz, that there's this, um, they see that the populace or average people have a tremendous amount of respect and esteem for wealthy people. And they think, well, I want to be respected. I better have a few dollars in my pocket. If I'm wealthy, I'll be treated right. If I'm poor, 
I'll be treated like dirt. I'll be stripped of my dignity. Who are we fooling? The vast, overwhelming majority of people are guilty of this. Consciously, or oftentimes, subconsciously. We respect wealthy people. We treat them differently. And it's a mistake on our part. And it doesn't bring joy, happiness, or fulfillment to the wealthy people either. Here we're going to shine a bright light on the truth. I think the truth might be painful for some, but the truth will set us free. And learning to look at life through a Torah true lens can, should, and Be'ezrat Hashem will be liberating for us all. This will be the subjects we'll address over the course of the next hour or so. I want to thank you all for joining. I want to remind you that you can subscribe if you haven't yet, youtube.com forward slash Rabbi Member Kaplan. You're probably here already. If you're on Facebook right now, why don't you hop over to YouTube because that will give you the opportunity to ask questions. And I see that a number of people have already commented. Haniel is asking me to speak a little bit louder. With pleasure. I shall do so. And if any of you have any questions, you're welcome to post them on the live chat on YouTube, and I will respond to the best of my ability. So let's get right into it. This new episode, if you're following along in the Kihat version, can be found on page... Hmm, 140, page 140, we, in the previous episode, concluded the paragraph that starts with the word Vigoram lahem. What is the cause for people's mistake? It is that they believe that they'll be honored if only they have money. So they pursue it. The ilu hiskilu vehivinu. However, if they would only understand... If they would only be wise and intuitive, ki ein biyecholtom v'loy bechoychom loy loseis v'loy linoya. It is not within the power or purview of the wealthy people to give or not. That is to say, we established that the origin, the reason, the cause of the folly of the populace is that they're attempting to gain riches. They believe that by flattering the wealthy people, which wealthy people invariably interpret or misinterpret as respect, but flattery and respect are not one and the same. One is genuine. One is true. One is meaningful. And one is cheap and gaudy and fades the moment the possibility in somebody's imagination fades. The moment the other person thinks they can't gain anything from you, all of a sudden their respect is gone. I shared with you this one-liner from uh, a fiddler-in-the-roof-esque-like conversation where the wealthy man loses all his money and he says to his wife, I don't understand. When I was wealthy... People of the shtetl, they would come and ask my advice all the time. And now, nobody's asking for my advice. He said, I don't have money, but I got ideas. I got wisdom. Of 
course he didn't have wisdom and ideas. They never came to him for his wisdom and ideas. He was never truly respected as a human, as a person. He was respected for his ability to give others wealth or affluence. And the moment he didn't have his money, they looked the other way. That real respect. Is that what you're looking for? People to respect you because of the money you have in the bank? When people crave respect or esteem, they want to be treated like a mensch, as we say. They want to be given esteem. But that doesn't happen for money. What's the reason? What's the reason that the people are heaping honor, or really flattery, upon these wealthy people? And the answer is that the populace is heaping honor upon the wealthy because they believe that the wealthy have something to give them, something they can only get by fawning over those who are rich. But it's a big mistake. Ve'ilu eskilu ve'evinu. Who? Says the table of Anun. Who is the eskilu? Who is wise here? Who is supposed to be intuitive? Says the table of Anun. The populace, the average people. If only the average people wouldn't be so average. If only the masses wouldn't leave the M off the front of the word. And instead of being fools, they would be wise, discerning, understanding of the truth. If only they would understand what? Ki ain be a choltum. So this is an interesting sentence because Hiskilu vehivinu is talking about the populace, the masses. Yechol tom, their ability, koichom, their strength, or wherewithal, says the Tevalavana, it refers to ba'ale hamamoin, the people who got the money. So if they understood that it's actually not in their purview, it's actually not in their hands to do good or the opposite. You heard right. The rich man or woman does not decide who will be taken care of and who will be left out in the cold. Ella, rather, This is in God's hands, not the people's hands. And I know what you're thinking. Don't people have the freedom to choose? It's an excellent question. We'll address it shortly. The Toi says, Hiskilu refers to the populace, Yecholtam refers to Bale Hamame, and he says that the word Lolatet Velolim Noah, not to give or to be able to restrain, has everything to do with Misha Gozar. Misha Gozar, who decrees? Who decides? Who's calling the shots? Almighty God is. God never gave the keys away. He maintains absolute control at all times and in every place. Loyla says they cannot give to somebody. That's right. The wealthy person cannot give business opportunities or gifts to somebody unless Hashem decides, unless God decided that that person should be the recipient. You know that wealthy man or woman who flies into a rage and says, you disrespected me. I'm not going to support what you do. I'm not going to give you another business opportunity. Baloney. Rabbeinu Bechaya says that person has no power whatsoever to hold back from you. That's what's coming to you. If Hashem decided that they will give you, then they will give you. How does that work? Leave it to God. 
Sometimes people end up in situations where they have to write a check they never wanted to write. Because they're not really in control. My dear friends, this is a basic faith axiom. This is a trust principle that we have learned and we have absorbed and discussed so many times in the previous episodes. We Torah Jews believe that Hashem is always in control and that God never ever, chas v'sholem, heaven forfend, leaves the store for others to mind. And as such, if people would only realize this, and I don't mean to realize this cerebrally, it has to migrate from IQ into EQ. It has to become a part of your emotional quotients, the way you see the world, the way you look at things. So if you begin to see things that way, if you are able to look past the obfuscation and the camouflage and the smokescreen, that yes, Almighty God set up, He set it up so you should look past it. And if you could look past it, and if you can see, then you will know. Then they would not place their hopes in anyone else, says the Teval of Anon. Zulas Habeiri is Barich. A person would place his or her hope only in Hashem. So if I have to flatter or honor somebody to get what I need, who's that somebody going to be? If you're a man or woman of faith, if you have the proper trust, the betochen, if your faith has been absorbed and developed, nurtured as it should be, it's going to be Hashem, not other people. That doesn't mean you're disrespectful to others. Respect is a basic part of our Jewish or Torah lifestyle. Respect for everyone, whether somebody's rich or poor. Each human being created in God's image is deserving of respect. Every member of Am Yisrael is deserving of our esteem. He or she possesses a chelik elekam imal mamash, a soul which is literally a piece of God. And every one of us has a unique mission. And as the Alter Rebbe says in the 32nd chapter of Lukut HaMarim Tanya, he says, You look down at this person, how do you know what kind of soul they have? Maybe they have the most exquisite of spirits. Maybe they were given a unique mission in this world that outshines and eclipses you by eons, by miles. You don't know. None of us really know. That's in the eyes of Hashem alone. The Talmud tells us there was once a sage who had an outer body experience coming to the other world. And when he was able to communicate with those who were in the other world, he asked them, so what do you see? And they said, it's a mirror image, you know, like a black and white negative. He who is small, puny, and insignificant in this world, he's very, very honored in the other world, highly esteemed. And the people who have honor and privilege in the other world, they're very insignificant and small. You know, here's like a little our world metaphor for this. I remember very vividly that in the same period of the tragic events in the Beit Chabad and the Chabados in Mumbai, when Rabbi Gabi and Rabbi Tzinrifki Holzberg were brutally slain by the monstrous subhuman beasts who, who invaded their Beit Chabad, around the same time the Madoff disaster, the Baka went down. And I, I remember sharing with a friend. I said, imagine, just imagine, 
a few weeks before these two events had happened. I said, put yourself in any well-heeled synagogue in the New York metropolitan area. There's two guests, Bernie Madoff and Rabbi Holtzberg. Who's going to get more honor? Who's going to be more highly esteemed? As we say in the vernacular, who would have got shlishi? I can almost guarantee you that nobody will look twice at, 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 at Rabbi Holtzberg. A younger man chick, a young man with a scruffy little beard. He'll say, I'm from Mumbai. Very nice. I'm a shlich of the Rebbe. So are another 5,000 people. Bernie Madoff is a big tzaddik. This guy's a giving tzedakah. And he's a mover and shaker in the Jewish world. And then a few weeks later, Rabbi Holtzberg's fame is international. Tragically, it's in the post-mortem. Achrei, Mois, after his passing, Kedoshim Emer, people are speaking about his holiness and what an extraordinary, wonderful, incredible human being he was, what an amazing yid he was. And the other was looked down, spat on, denigrated as a common thief, the lowest of criminals. Well, that's a, a glimpse of how things were in our world. Imagine how they are in the other world, where people who are held in such high esteem in this world probably don't even register on that Richter scale in the other world. So that's what we're talking about. I'll remind you that Rabbeinu B'chaya told us in the previous episode that we speak not only of honor in the other world, though. We're speaking about even in this world. Because the truth is that flattery is not honor. And true respect and esteem are given ultimately to those who are truly deserving. It may seem otherwise on the surface, but then again, everything in our world seems otherwise. This is a world of chaos and confusion. And you have to have tremendous insight to see past it. Studying the Shara Betochen, this incredible work, should position us to view the world differently. Now, if you have this kind of faith perspective, if you have that trust vision, this betachen outlook, then who would you respect and who would you ingratiate yourself before if not God? Well, so, well I'm doing what i got to do. I need to make a living. And this powerful man or woman is very rich and they will make or break my life. Of course not. The Shara Betochen says that's simply untrue. And it is symptomatic of weak or even sometimes non-existent faith. If you have faith, if you have Betochen, the trust in Hashem, then you know that everything comes from Hashem. What are you doing? What are you running after? Spend your time ingratiating yourself before God. For ultimately, it is only God who provides. And everybody and everything else is but a mindless mechanism, a tool, a vehicle or envelope in Hashem's hands. Really and truly, they are not the ones who are deserving of honor. Rather, who should be honored? The person that Hashem, so to speak, honors. 
the person who is identified as having praiseworthy qualities in Hashem's eyes, Torah knowledge, care, concern, compassion and consideration for others are good places to begin. The Marpala Nefesh now addresses a major question which comes to mind. Shara Betochen has maintained that the rich person has no choice. It's ein b'yacholtam v'loi b'koicham. It's not within their ability or power. By the way, doesn't that sound redundant? Ability or power? Before we go to the Marpil Nefesh, in his classic, inimitable fashion, the Paslechem always zeroes in on the language used by Rav Yehuda ibn Tibbin as he rendered the Shara Betochen from its uh, Arabic of the day into, into Hebrew. And uh, he places a, a much stock in, in uh, Rabbi Yehudi Ibn Timmin's words, as we should. He was a great Rishon. And he understood the essence of Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar's message. So he says he uses these two Hebrew words. Probably Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar in his original uses something like this. He said, what's the difference? What's the difference between yecholet or koach? What's the difference between, between ability or between power? So the Paslechem suggests that, that the yochol or, or ability is how, what somebody can do by engaging somebody else. He says, for example, so the rich man can build a big building. Well, he can't really build. He's not a carpenter. He's not a mason. True. But he can hire the right people. He knows how to hire somebody to make the, the get permission from the, the, the building permit or whatever variances are, are, vari- are necessary. He knows how to hire a good architect. He knows how to hire a good contractor. He who will know how to hire the proper masons and the, and, and the proper carpenters and bricklayers and so on and so forth. So it's within his power, or I should say ability. It's yecholet. He has ability. And then there are things he can do by himself. He says, I have power. I can, I can do A, B, or C. Well, no, you really can't. You know the people who threaten to ruin your life, threaten to destroy you, don't be afraid of them. They can't do anything to you unless Hashem wants something to happen to you. And if Hashem wants that to happen to you, ingratiating yourself before this individual isn't going to change a thing. It doesn't mean we aren't required to behave in a manner which is respectful or follow derech ha-teva. We talked about this endless times. You need to engage in natural means. But the natural means are only because Torah says to engage in natural means, not because the natural means actually make it happen. What about Bechira? What about the freedom to choose? Isn't that something that God gives each and every one of us? Isn't that the gift we all received? Isn't that the most important ingredient in manufacturing holiness? I mean, if we have no choice, what difference does it make? If I behave righteously, I was programmed. If I behave badly, it was my nature. It was a reflex. I couldn't do anything about it. Why hold me accountable? Why consider somebody guilty or culpable? It was their nature that overtook them. Why give somebody credit, remuneration, or reward for doing the right thing? They just were guided missiles. And yet Judaism believes in reward and punishment. By the way, reward and punishment is not that Judaism believes that one should live his or her life to get a heavenly reward or to receive some kind of wonderful payback in this world. 
Antigonus, the great leader of the Jewish people in the beginning of the Second Temple era, spent his life promulgating a very different message. He said, Do not be like those servants who essentially toil for payback. Serve Hashem not to receive anything. As the Mepharshim explained, Adopt the measure of our father Abraham, Avram Avinu, Oyavi, the lover of Hashem. We should love Hashem and as such toil in His service. That's a choice we make. It's a choice we make. And when Judaism says we believe in punishment and reward, it's highlighting the concept of choice. The concept of culpability. Yes, we are responsible for the choices we make. And this is evidenced by the ideas of reward and punishment. We get credit and culpability. So what happened to Bechira? Rabbeinu Bechaya seems to be leaving choice out of the equation. He says, It's not within their power. It's not within their ability. Not to give or to restrain. How does that work? The Marple and Nefesh addresses this question in a stunning and brilliant manner. Listen carefully to what he says, and then we're going to migrate over into some fascinating other sources which I believe will illuminate the essence or the crux of what we're discussing today. The Marpa Lenefesh says, and I quote, If it was decreed from on high that this person, that this person, let's, let's call it Reuven and Shimon. Reuven and Shimon. Reuven is poor. Shimon is rich. Reuven thinks by ingratiating himself and by flattering Shimon, Shimon will provide for him. He'll give him the opportunity to earn a living. He will be his provider, his mefarnes. So the Marpel and Nefesh tells us, Unless from heaven it was decreed that Shimon should have the privilege of providing to Reuven, whether he gives Reuven a gift of tzedakah or provides him with employment, unless it was decreed from heaven that that should be the possibility that Shimon should be able to do it. He meant to, he wanted to, he intended to, it didn't happen. How many times do you hear stories of people who claim to have wanted to make a transfer and the transfer never happened? Or people who didn't want to make a transfer and didn't do what want, and somehow it happened. And they don't even know how that happened. It's all in Hashem's hands. Here the Marple and Nefesh addresses a quintessential question of the moment. What about faith? What about trust? What about the idea of freedom of choice. How do they operate together? So he says, Habechira, the choice is biyad ha'odom. Hagmor ein biyad ha'odom. You have the freedom to choose. You have power over your choice. You do not have control over the final outcome. You can do what you believe to be good and right. And in fact, if Hashem doesn't want you to have the privilege, it will not materialize. A person can try 
to restrain or refrain from doing the right thing. And if he does, then he does. And he will not receive credit. He will not get any, so to speak, reward for the right thing happening anyway. Because sometimes, unbeknownst to you, you become the source of somebody else's livelihood. Because you spoke badly about them, because you tried to undermine them, you in fact became the catalyst for something good. But by the way, you don't get credit for that. Imagine the person who speaks badly of somebody else, denigrates them. And the competitor says, hmm, that guy is speaking so badly about this person. Could he really be that bad? I bet you he's effective. And that man's competitor ends up giving you a huge business deal. You're going to give the first guy credit? They say, thank you for speaking badly about me. I give you much credit. You should be rewarded for your wonderful mitzvah. Definitely not. <laughs> Many years ago, there was a certain individual, a very, at the time he was a very prominent member of the Toronto Jewish community, and, and he attacked the Chabad movement publicly. For really, for no good reason. It was like everything was not true. But whatever, he had his issues, this person, unfortunately. And he attacked the Chabad movement publicly. And his goal was to stop getting the people in his circle of influence to support Chabad. He said, Don't support Lubavitch. They're very bad people. So, what happened is that a person who was charitable, philanthropic, but not specifically in a direction of our activities. Uh, he called me up and he said, you know, I heard this and this person speak very badly about Lubavitch, so I did some research on you. And I found out that you are the best bet for a Jewish tomorrow. He said, I doesn't support Chabad before, but I'm going to support Chabad now. And I want you to know that it's because of what that guy said. It caused me to rethink my priorities and my philanthropic endeavor, and I'm going to direct my largest, my generosity, in your direction on the go forward, which he did. And I met this person many years later. And I said, how do I thank you for all those not nice things you said? And he turned colors. He knew exactly what I was talking about. And I said, you should know, no credit to you, but Hashem ordains things otherwise. Now, he made a choice, a bad choice, a choice to speak lush and hara, a choice to speak gossip, a choice to speak words of the opposite of goodness. And he had an intent. In fact, his words had exactly the opposite effect. I'm just sharing this to you as an example of what, what the Rabbeinu Baha'i is telling us here, as the Marple and Nefesh elucidates it. Freedom of choice? Absolutely. The freedom to create outcomes? Never. How many times do people make bad choices, and in their mind they make a calculation, and past precedent is on their side? And they've done this ten times already. And it always works out exactly as they should. And somehow it doesn't. And then later everybody's very wise. They say, well, he made a miscalculation because he wasn't so smart. I would have been smarter. Say, all the Monday morning armchair quarterbacks. But of course that's not true. Hindsight is 2020. People make choices. They will be held accountable. The end result in Hashem's hands. So Rabbeinu Bechaya says, what are you doing? You're running after with this, with this facetious, fake kind of honor, flattering somebody, behaving inappropriately. For what reason? I didn't say disrespect anybody. 
but the, 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 the literally uh, salivating after somebody and believing that they are the ones who hold the keys to your future is a tragic mistake that can oftentimes harm rather than help us. And we'll hear about that in the next paragraph. Mr. Beit Bechaya continues to develop his idea. I'm just going to see if there's any questions here. Um, how's the audio, guys? You can give me feedback. Audio better? I'm hoping that it's better. Okay. So now I want to, I want to take a, a step back here for a moment because Rabbi Bechaya said that you shouldn't respect wealthy people. Don't respect them. You, know, you should understand that all the flattery in the world is not going to help you. Instead, you should put your hope in Hashem. That's, that's what it's really all about. Rebbeinu B'chai goes on to say, sorry, let me start uh, a little earlier. Mishi Chadu, he started talking about this earlier. Somebody that the Torah who identifies as being honorable, Roy Bavuron. So then that person is, if you will, suitable or deserving of being honored because by Hashem. And then if a person is honored by Hashem, then that's the kind of person who will be honored by other people. In other words, when a person toils and even sacrifices to do the right thing, to serve Hashem and follow His will, and he does so in an exemplary fashion, and in on doing so he honors Hashem, what happens? That person who honors Hashem is praiseworthy and worthy of Hashem's honor, and as such, deserving of people's esteem. As the Neder Bakoidesh puts it, he says, This populace, these masses that we talk about, who are honoring people for their money, for their power, imaginary power, seeming power. This is not really appropriate. Instead, says the Neder Bakoidesh, they should honor the person who is machazik betoirosi, the person who holds steadfast to Hashem's Torah, ubemailais hamishubochois, in the praiseworthy qualities the Torah identifies. That Hashem says is what I'm going to honor. So the Pasuk, the verse, which is taken out of the second book of Shmuel, Samuel 2, in the 30th, in the 30th um, chapter, it says, Ki those who honor me, I will honor. So Hashem honors. What do you think it means when Hashem honors? If Hashem honors a person, the person is honored, invariably held in high esteem by others as well. So that's what it's about. As the Paslechem says, because people are really and truly puny. And insignificant, our value inherently very low. Why are any of us deserving of honor? And the answer is, Hashem honors the person. Hashem honors a person? You gotta be kidding. Why would Hashem honor a person? It's like me or you honoring an ant, a speck of dust. There's a bigger difference between us and a speck of dust, a greater distance between us and Hashem than us and a speck of dust, than us and, a, and, 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 and an ant. So why would Hashem honor us? 
well. He says he does. Hashem chooses to honor us. And imagine, if Hashem honors us, <laughs> then we'll be deserving of honor, as they say, for real. All right, so it's pretty clear. Uh, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar has identified this uh, folly of people to honor the rich, and they shouldn't honor Hashem. A little problem with this. The Gemara seems to tell us otherwise. And you're looking at me. The Talmud says to honor the rich in as many words. In fact, one of the greatest, or two of the greatest sages of all time were known for bestowing honor and esteem upon the wealthy. How does that square? How does that fit with what Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar has just taught us? So let's first of all go back to the source. It's a Gemara. The Gemara is found in Mesechet Eruvin. I'll open what I share with you from the bottom of page 85, side B. Pehe Amid Beis, near the bottom. The Gemara is talking about possessions, about property, about whether or not having property with somebody's possession in it makes a difference insofar as something called an Eruv is concerned, if the properties are rented out. But if I have residuals in that property, it doesn't make a difference. So the Gemara says like this. Ben Bunyas. Who is Ben Bunyas? Son of Bunyas. So Ben Bunyas... Bunyas is Asher Hoya, a very, very wealthy man. And he would loan his properties, his homes, he would lease his, uh, these places to other people. But because he was very wealthy, he had possessions in all of these properties. And that, of course, can change or rotate the way the halacha applies in the laws of Eruvin. I'm not even going to begin to try and explain this. So Rashi tells us that this Ben Bunyas was a disciple of Rebbe. Rebbe, Rebbe is Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi, the famed and celebrated redactor of the Mishnah. Also, Lakame the Rebbe came in front of his teacher. Came into that house of study. Omar Lohu, so Rebbe says to the, gra- the crowd, to the disciples that are gathered, Pinu mokoim leben Make money for this guy. He's worth a million bucks. A hundred mana. He's worth a million bucks. Make money for uh, Mr. Warbucks. Make money for the rich guy. Another person came afterwards. Now Rebbe said to them, to the gathered, the disciples gathered, Pinu Marko and Leben Masayamana. Make money, this guy's worth two million bucks. Make room for him. Make sure he's got room. In other words, he's giving him an honorable place. Omar Lafonov, Rabbi Yishmol, Rabbi Yishmol says to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, he says, Rabbi, Aviv Shalzeh, that guy is just the son of Bunyas. You should see what Bunyas has. This guy, Bunyas, he's extraordinarily, he's much more wealthy than the second guy. You think the guy worth two million bucks is impressive? Bunyas, he's got a hundred million dollars. How do I know? The Gemara says so. He has Elef Sfines Bayom. He's got a thousand ships at sea. A thousand ships at sea. Yeah, the ship is like a million bucks. He's got a thousand of them. 
And Kenegdon Elafayardus Bayabasha, he owns a thousand towns or municipalities. This guy's a billionaire. Omar Loi, Rabbi Yehuda says to Rabbi Shmuel, he says, when you see a Mr. Billionaire next, tell him, don't send him in this kind of clothes. I should be able to recognize his wealth. Send him in Armani only. You know, this is, he's just wearing Dior. That's not impressive. I only thought he was, a, I noticed a nice suit. But if he comes in a nice, nice suit, then I'll be able to respect him properly. Now, of course, this sounds off the charts. It's totally ridiculous. What's going on over here? It seems like Rabbi Yehuda is doing exactly what the Shara Batochan said. We're not allowed to do. He's honoring people for their money. The strange thing is he was very wealthy himself. So the Gemara comments on this. Yeah, you read right. Rabbi Mechabed Ashirim. Rabbi used to respect the rich. Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, yes, he also used to respect the rich. Kedorosh Rava Barmeri, as Rava Barmeri expounded, Yeshav Oilum Lufnei Alekim, Chesed Ve'emes Manyan Siru, which means, Amos HaYeshav Oilum Lufnei Alekim, when is the world, if you will, established before God? Bezman Chesed Ve'emes, in a time when there is truth and kindness. In other words, when wealthy people give a lot of tzedakah. And Yinsiru, they serve as a guardian for this world. Okay, so Rabbi Yehuda Nasi is honoring the wealthy for giving tzedakah. One second, one second. We just learned in Rabbeinu Bachai, in the Shara B'tochen, that even if the rich man wants to, he doesn't necessarily have it within his purview to succeed. He may want to give tzedakah, he has the right to choose to give tzedakah, the end result is in Hashem's hands. And if Hashem wants him to have the privilege, he'll have the privilege. And if Hashem doesn't want him to have the privilege, then he will not. So Rabbi Yehuda is honoring the wealthy. He's flattering them, it seems, because he wants to get something out of them. Okay, he doesn't want to get his thing. He's not looking for himself. He was so wealthy, he didn't need anybody's money. But he's still honoring him because he wants him to do something, like give tzedakah. How do we work that out with what we just learned? One of the great halachas of the 15th and 16th century was a man whose name was Mahri Segal. So in, in the Likutim, collected teachings of the Mahri Segal, he brings down that Maharam Segal used to explain this Gemara as such. He said, why Rabbi Huda specifically? Because Rabbi Huda was the greatest Torah sage of his time. Rebbe, he was the Rebbe. He didn't want to be respected for his Torah. He didn't want to gain anything from Torah. But he knew people would respect him. So he said, let them respect me for my money. And therefore he respected the rich, showing as if you're supposed to respect rich people so people wouldn't respect him for his Torah. But it was all about avoiding respect, personal respect for Torah. It's very creative, very brilliant, very amazing. But it doesn't fit with the literal meaning of the Gemara. Especially because the Ben Ishchai asked the question in his commentary, Ben Yayada. He says, Rabbi Akiva lives in the time of the Beit HaMikdash and its aftermath. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is only alive four generations later or five generations later. Rabbi Akiva comes first. 
So why would you say Revi Mechabed Hashinim? And only afterwards, Rabbi Akiva, historically, you should have said, don't be surprised, Rabbi Huda's comments, Rabbi Akiva Mechabed Hashinim and Rabbi Mechabed Hashinim. Rabbi was simply following in the footsteps of his of a great predecessor, Rabbi Akiva. And the Ben Yoyada answers his question by telling us that the Rebbe was Mechabed Hashinim was a bigger Chiddush, it was a greater novelty because he was rich himself. Rabbi Akiva wasn't rich. And not only was he rich insofar as money was concerned, but he had illustrious lineage. He is, after all, a member of the Nasi'im, the family of Torah leadership, which is like royalty to us. Torah royalty. Rabbi Akiva did not have any illustrious lineage to speak of. He was descended of a convert or converts. So, of course, Rabbi Akiva might have had a low esteem. And of course, you would think, sure, he respects people who are respectable. But Rabbi Yehuda? He had Torah, Ugedula. He had Torah, knowledge, and spiritual superiority, as well as affluence and incredible wealth. Why would he respect anybody for what they had? Ah, nonetheless. So you see, it is literal. The question, of course, is, how in heaven do we understand this? And how is it, are we able to kind of square it with this incredible Torah philosophy that Rabbeinu B'chai just shared with us, which sounds like it makes perfect sense. It sounds, you know, right according to the principles we established, but in fact, the Gemara seems to suggest otherwise. And you know, when we read a Torah idea, the most powerful way it can be conveyed is when it's not academic, but acted upon. This is known as the principle of Maiser Rav, of a, of a Torah leader, a paragon of spiritual excellence who actually acts it out and does it. So how does it work? So there are many answers to this question. To me, and of course I'm a chassid, so maybe I'm a little bit biased, the most beautiful and stunning answer and explanation to this question ever is what our beloved Rebbe wrote. I want to share with you the contents of a letter that was written in the year 1959. And it's printed in the 18th volume of the Rebbe's Igras Kaidish, the holy letters that the Rebbe penned. And this letter was written to a man named Eliezer Aryeh Halevi, known as Dr. Finkelstein. He was like some kind of a well-known professor, but I believe that he was a Torah observant Jew and a knowledgeable, learned individual. And the Rebbe writes to him, this is on in that 18th volume, page 26. Yesh temeihim lemaimer chazal. There are those who are astounded, astonished, left wondering at the saying, the maxim of our sages, Rebbe Mechabed Ashirim. Rebbe was respecting those who were wealthy. Rebbe writes, Ulididi, to me, Muvan umavur. It's understood. It's so clear to me, the Rebbe says. Al-Pi'achas is based on one of the foundational principles of the Shita, the philosophy, the theology of the Holy Baal Shem Tev. Asher, namely. Kolin in Ba'ilam. Everything in our world. Afilu katan shebektanem, even the most minor and insignificant of details, who bash gachoprotis is by divine providence and design. Ubefrat, if even something as small, the tiniest little detail, like the famous story of the Bashemtev picks a leaf off the ground, 
to show that the leaf fell down at a particular time in order to shield an, a, a worm from the heat of the sun, the blistering heat of the sun. I think I shared the details of that story with you in a previous episode. When these are things which are relevant to the public, which have an impact in a very, very broad and pluralistic fashion across a very wide band of, of public welfare. And the Rebbe says the following. Ashirim. The affluent, rich people. Our people, Asher HaHashgocha, they are people who have been graced by virtue of divine individual providence. Hashem has given in their hands ability, wherewithal, to do good things in Hashem's world. That doesn't mean that they have the end result in their hand. Hashem has all end results, but he gave them the ability to choose. And they might have the privilege of making an enormous difference in Hashem's world. This is what they call, incidentally, in the language of modern Jewish philanthropy, they call it a transformational benefaction. You know, schleppers like me give a little tzedakah, whatever. You don't transform anything by virtue of, of, the, of the tzedakah that I give. But a very wealthy person could make a transformational benefaction. He could give the kind of tzedakah that literally changes the lives of thousands. As I mentioned, certainly in other classes, the, 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 the property we're in here, and in, 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 in we're able to do so many amazing things, and Baruch Hashem now can impact the whole world through social media and, and the power of the internet. It all comes from the largest, from the generosity, of a Holocaust survivor who was inspired by my father-in-law. Uh, my father-in-law, by Grossbaum, met this fellow, his name is Ernest Manson, and he was a developer, and he owned a piece of property, and he made the decision, before he was felled by a stroke, that he would give this property to Chabad, to the Lubavitch movement. And he, was, he fell ill suddenly, and his daughter and son-in-law, Rick and, and Yvonne Goldberg, they honored his wishes, and they made a transformation. Thousands of people's of lives have been positively impacted by virtue of that benefaction. Think about that. What a zechus. What a merit for his neshama in the world of truth. It's a transformational benefaction. He's had the ability to change so many people. Litova for good. So the Rebbe says, if a person is given the possibility to make a powerful, positive difference in people's lives, it must be mas'imim to koiches nafsham. Then they must also have an equal amount of spiritual wherewithal to fulfill this. Because as we've discussed many times in the last couple of episodes, one of the greatest tests is wealth. The test of faith that so many fail is the test of affluence. If Hashem gave the person to accomplish amazing things, it means He gave him an amazing test, a very difficult, daunting test, but He also must have given him the ability, the spiritual courage and mettle to overcome his Yetzirah and make the right decision and share of his philanthropy and his wealth. 
And Hashem must have given him spiritual strength, which is pi kama al tafkidish much more so than the average person, who may change a small amount of people during the course of his lifetime. And certainly how much more so one who is impoverished. And so, the Rebbe says an amazing thing. I have to tell you, when I, when I read these words, I see our Rebbe in these words. The Rebbe says, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, the man we call our holy Rebbe, his era was one of mass transition, a major shifting in Jewish life. I see our Rebbe in the mirror image of this. I'll explain to you in a moment. That the Yehuda lived at a time where the Jewish people were moving away from Achayim, Shalavim, away from life which was calm, tranquil, and quiet into a time of Gezeris and the Diffes, into a period, a tumultuous period in Jewish history that would be punctuated by relentless persecution. This was the period, the period of the Mishnah, where the Roman, the brutal Roman occupation was starting to express itself in the most horrific ways, and eventually it leads to the full expulsion of the Jewish people from the land of Israel. And in the various lands where we live in exile, we are prosecuted and persecuted and hated and chased and murdered time and again from the east to the west, from the various faith systems that were spawned in these different civilizations. Hatzad, Hashover, Shebinehem, the common denominator was their relentless, gratuitous persecution of the Jewish people. A tragic and sickening truth that we have to live with. We live with it as those who suffered and so many of good people today, some of whom who watch these Torah classes, are descended from people who tragically were on the giving end of the hell we received. And they got to make up for it. <laughs> now all of humanity has to atone for what it did. So what is it doing? Persecuting Israel relentlessly now. Alright, anyway, getting back to our point here. So, the Jewish people are moving into exilic situations. And therefore, how did Rabbi Yehuda view himself? He viewed himself not as a tiny individual, but rather a pivotal person. He would be able to influence the lives of many. And all of is He was in a situation where Hashem expects him to muster the full force and power of the whole range of the Jewish people so that we would be able to emerge from these tumultuous and challenging times unscathed and whole. The Yetzei Shalom Umechusen, we should be able to leave, to emerge in purse shielded. What was Rabbi Yehuda's biggest job? What was his most important mission? Many people will tell you his most important mission was to redact the Mishnah. The Rebbe said his most important mission was to contemplate each individual to make every effort to bring forth each individual's own potential. So Rebbe Yehuda was giving honor to this person. Why? 
because he knew that by giving this person honor, he would position him to make the right choice. The person would understand that Rabbi Yehuda doesn't need his money. Rabbi Yehuda doesn't need his generosity. Why is he honoring me? What does he see in me? He honors and sees in me the ability to make a positive difference. Then I should be the one to make that positive difference. In other words, Rabbi Yehuda sought, let me use a terrible English word, to manipulate. But think of manipulate not in a negative way where you manipulate people for your own needs. Think of it as an artist who manipulates the clay, the pigment, the charcoal. He's using the medium in order to bring about the creation of a beautiful, stunning picture. The Behuda saw himself as positioned to try to utilize each of us to help us, to position us to make the right choice so that we would do what Hashem expects of us. And he knew that if we'll honor this person, it will help that person overcome his own evil inclination, his own monstrous Yetzirah, to do the right thing. Play your role in making our world a better and a holy place. Of course there's freedom of choice. That's precisely the point, says the Rebbe. Because Hashem is in the son of Bechir And because if you have the freedom to choose, Hashem will not make it easy for you to choose right. Hashem is testing you. Do you love God? Will you act out of love to God? Or will you act out of selfish self-interest? Will you keep Hashem's mitzvahs? Will you bow your head in submission to God and be devoted and dedicated to Hashem? Or will you choose self-aggrandizement? Sounds very easy and stark when you put it in those terms. But your Yetzirah is so clever and wily. He creates a very different way to look at things. A misguided, inappropriate way, but one that is easily believable. And the question is, will these rich people make the right choice in life? As the verse and it says in Deuteronomy, Hashem says to each and every one of us, Today I have given you that which is life, that which is good, and the opposite. And you have to choose. The rich man can choose to hoard his wealth. The rich man can choose to spend it on his own selfish needs and purposes. To burnish what he thinks is a reputation and a name and honor. So he can die with the most toys. He can go to his grave with the biggest bank accounts that his children can spend the rest of their lives fighting over. Or he can choose to use the wealth that Hashem has placed at his disposal to bring about an ocean of goodness. That's a choice we have to make. It's easy. I don't have any money. It's easy for me to judge people who have money. They have a big Yetzirah. It comes along. It's a double-edged sword, my friends. The ability to do much good will come along with enormous personal challenges and tests of faith and conviction. And the Rebbe says that if this is true about wealth of gold and silver, it's also true about wealth of talent, ability, spiritual wherewithal. You're going to keep it for yourself? Are you going to share it with others? That's the big question. So the Behuda respected people. He was trying to help them make the right choice. It's all about serving Hashem 
and helping others do so as well. But doesn't the person who gives occupy the position of giver? And if Hashem has chosen him to be the one to give others, doesn't that make him special? There's a beautiful sikha. In Lukut, the sikha is Aleph. I, I forgot to pull the book here before I was studying it before my, on my desk. The Rebbe says over there that he talks about tzedakah as being a paradigm for all the mitzvahs. And he says that a person could easily convince himself that he is better than the poor. The Rebbe said this was the attitude of a wicked man named Turnus Rufus. Turnus Rufus is a man who is a Roman Caesar or a general, a wicked, evil, selfish man. And he challenges Rabbi Akiva. And he says, if your God loves the poor, why doesn't he give him money? He loves me. He loves the rich. Rabbi Akiva says, no, you have it all wrong. He loves the poor. He gave you a privilege. He gave you an opportunity. And the truth is that more so than the benefactor gives to the recipient, the recipient actually gives to the benefactor. To be able to help somebody else is a privilege. And Hashem gives you that privilege along with a great test of faith and conviction. And we have to overcome that. And it's not a reason to feel high and mighty or proud. It's a reason to be humbled by the trust that Hashem has placed in us. It's a reason for us to live a life that's filled with some awe and trepidation. Will we fulfill the mission Hashem has given us? Or will we fail like so many others who have come before us. It's a choice we have to make, not an easy one. There's an amazing statement that's found in the Zohar. And with this, I'm going to close this little conversation and we'll move back into the thrust of what Rabbeinu B'chai is saying. It's a, it's a Zohar which is found in Parshas Miketz. It's on the, the first section of Zohar, page 199. The end of side A, the Zohar says, Rabbi Yossi taught about the virtues of tzedakah, of what the world translates as charity, we really call it righteousness. It says, tzedakah is tatzel mimavas. Tzedakah can save from death. And then the Zohar says, This refers to those who toil in Torah. The Yadin or they know its ways. Lishtadla ba dahoi raisa itzchayim. Tzedakah, righteousness is Torah. And those who know the ways of Torah, those who toil in Torah, the ones who immerse themselves in Torah, they have itzchayim. The Torah is called the tree of life. So they have life. Life comes from Torah, pursuit of Torah, absorbing the message of Torah. But on the other hand, we speak about tzedakah here. It says, V'tzedakah ti'elon. Tzedakah ta'atzimimavaz desor says, because tzedakah will provide for us. So the Gemara says, Kori be'oraisa, v'kori be'tzedakah. We have called forth the virtue of Torah. We have called forth the virtue of generosity, of benefaction, of charity. So which one is it? And the Zohar says, moving on to side two, the Zohar says, V'kulachad. They're two halves of a whole. They're all one. Omarahu Yehudoi, this Jew said, V'kore be'sholid, and it's called peace. Omar Abiyosi, 
Hochihu. Vade the Ikra Shalom. Indeed, the Jew is right. It's called peace. The Rebbe's father, who was arrested, brutally tortured by the accursed Soviets, Yamach for being the Torah leader of the Jewish people in Ukraine during a very dark, dark period of our national history. This is the pre-Holocaust period where Stalin, Yamach may his name be erased and blotted out, sought to extinguish the fire of Judaism across the Soviet Union, especially persecuting the large, very, very significant Jewish population living in Ukraine before Hitler changed that. Machshimam. So the Rebbe's father is a fearless Torah leader and eventually arrested, tortured, and then exiled to a distant northeastern area region of Kazakhstan. And he had very few books with him. One of the few books he had was the Zohar. And Rabbi Tzachana, who came to be with him, at great sacrifice in this windswept part of the world where there's virtually no vegetation, would seek out to find the smallest bits of grass and foliage to make ink so that Levik could write down some of the Torah knowledge of his unbelievably creative mind. And he had to write very cryptically because he had no paper, very little ink, and just the margins of books. He writes in the margin of the Zohar, why do we need to have both Torah and Tzedakah. Why couldn't we have just one? And what was the novelty of the man called, the teacher called Yehudoi, the Jew, that he said, Kori Beisholem. And then we see Rabbi Yossi says, Yeah, Rabbi Yossi, Hiskam alzeh, Shomar hachiyu, vadidikra sholem. Rabbi Levik launches into a, a long, relatively very, very long treatise that I will share with you the conclusion. It's a brilliant Kabbalistic uh, literature here. Brilliant. Extremely difficult to understand. He says, Torah hu inyan ruchni. Torah represents spiritual pursuit. Tzedakah hu inyan gashmi. I'm quoting the Rebbe's father's manuscript. Torah represents material pursuit. And he says, how could that be one? There are two very different directions. Two very different dimensions. He says, no, kulachad. The Yehudoi said, it's called peace. Why? Because he says this represents the hitchabrut. It represents bringing together the spiritual pursuit and the material pursuit. They are shnei dvarim hofchim. They are inherently at polar opposites. But Torah, Yiddishkeit brings together the pursuit of Torah and the pursuit of tzedakah. And in the language of Kabbalah, it's called fusing and coalescing the level called Tiferes and Malchus. And that's why the Yosef, Yosef represents the level of Yesoid, is the one who says, yes, Yehudoi is right. Malchus, Yesoid is the nexus, the fusion, and it brings together Teferis and Malchus, which is Kabbalistic jargon that I'm not even going to try to explain right now. But here's what I want to share with you. This is the salient point. Hanukkah, Shabbos Parshas Hanukkah. 1984, late December 1984. The Rebbe, at the Fabringen, on Shabbos Hanukkah, the Rebbe spoke about this Zohar, this Parshas Miketz. And the Rebbe said that 
the deeper message here, the deeper message here, he said, is that it is possible for a person to give tzedakah and feel like he is the giver. After all, he says, I'm the notain, I am the benefactor, he is the mekabel, he is the recipient. I have a superiority. I'm the one who's giving. He has to receive. And he said, well, you know, it's because Hashem gave you ability. So the rich man says, precisely. Why did God put me in the position of giver and him in the position of taker? He can fool himself and he says, Rebbe Mechabed Ashirim. Does not the Gemara and Avon say, Rebbe, you give honor to the rich? If God honored them, I'm going to honor them, said Rebbe. Ha-ha. If so, if God honored them, I'll have compassion. I'll have mercy at this person who's a loser. He's a poor man or woman. He doesn't have. God trusted me, not him. I am the hero. I am the big giver. And this, the Tsar says, is a big mistake because tzedakah and Torah are called shalom, peace, and oneness. And the idea is that we should understand that through giving tzedakah, we appreciate the privilege we have to give and we thank the recipient for enabling us to be able to do so. And it's the greatest privilege we could possibly have. It doesn't make us better. We're in this together. And when a person has that attitude, the person has that perspective. Aha, that is what we call peace. So now you understand what Rabbeinu Bakai is saying. You come back to what Rabbeinu Bakai said. He says, Don't honor the rich person because he has the power to give you. Rabbi Yehuda honored him in order to bring forth his potential. You're honoring him because you think he has the power to give you or refrain from giving you. You think he has control of your life, control of your destiny. You have it all wrong. Rabbi Yehuda, do not confuse Rabbi Mechabed Hashirim. Do not confuse the Rebbe, the Tzadik, giving honor in order to enable somebody to make the right choice with the choice, the folly of the masses, of the populace who think that the rich are actually in control. It's the polar opposite. And this, my dear friends, now enables us to understand what Rabbeinu Bachai is saying, V'ilu hiskilu vehevinu. Why the redundant? Hiskilu vehevinu. The Paslechem says something quite astounding. He says, you must know that if the language used there is hiskilu vehevinu, you have to be intuitive and understand. He says, this is a dover ha'omoik. It's very deep. It's very nuanced. It's very subtle. This is not easy to understand and grasp. He says, easy things, easy things. You get it? You get it. This is not a quick get it thing. This is something that requires contemplation. This is something that requires a great deal of sapience and wisdom and intuition to be able to properly understand the subtleties and the nuances of what Rabbeinu Bechai is saying. So he tells you the subtleties and nuances. And I think, with Hashem's help, we have shed a light on some of those subtleties and nuances. Let me just see if there's been any questions over here. A lot of nice comments. Okay, good.
so here Rabbeinu Bechaya says something happens. He now talks about the fate of the people who flatter the rich. Or, according to another opinion, the fate of the rich who are being flattered. Neither are going to be in a perfect or enviable situation. Because of the common folk who act so foolishly. In respecting the wealthy, thinking that they give them all kinds of honor and flattery, hoping that they will be able to gain wealth and profit and affluence as a result of the honor that they afford to others, to the, to the, for to others because they think they're in control. Hashem adds to the foolishness. As the Gemara says, You want to go that way? Knock yourself out, says God. Go right ahead. The Creator adds to the foolishness. You follow that avenue, that's the street you'll be walking on. And what will happen? You will fall into this trap. The Nader Bakredish says, he says, who is this talking about? He says, this foolishness. This foolishness is not the common folk. This foolishness is talking about the rich people because the rich people are fooled by the flattery of the poor people. And they take it to heart. They take them seriously. And as a result, what do they do? They think, I should work even harder. I need to be even richer. And then I'll be even more honored. Whatever little honor it doesn't really do to me now, it's because I don't have enough money. But when I'll be powerful enough and rich enough and affluent enough, then I'm going to get the real honor, the real glory. And they work even harder. The Noflu, they fall into this trap. It says, A funny thing happens to people who pursue honor. It runs away from them, the Mishnah says. And therefore they fall into this bottomless abyss, this, this trap. They keep trying to get more honor. So they're going to things, doing things that they think will bring them even greater honor. And they work even harder at this getting this honor. And it works not. Because all they're getting is flattery. That's not what Hashem wants. Who will be honored? Who will be honored, he says. Paraphrasing the language of Megillah Tester, he says, the one who Hashem desires... As Rabbeinu B'chaya said earlier, quoting the book of Shmuel Beis, Ki The ones I will honor will be honored, not who the people honor. And so, those who deserve to be honored will be honored effortlessly. Without effort to be honored. Because they're truly deserving of that honor. Because Hashem honors them for what they do. These words of the Neder Barkedesh are also echoed by the Paslechem in his commentary, who says that these poor, wealthy people, how poor, what a pity on them, he says. He says they, they continue to live in this false world of self-aggrandizement, of arrogance and conceit, thinking that they're so fantastic and thinking that God must love me because he gives me all this money. And they think, I made this money. I am the one who created all this wealth. I am fantastic and brilliant and talented and creative. I did this. And it gets to them. You take, you take that seriously, that flattery? says, if that's what you want, then you'll get lots of it. They won't even realize what's happening to them, he says. And that's because... 
they foolishly ignore the true source of their success, which is not their wisdom, and not their wherewithal, and not their hard work, the blessing of Hashem. And the harder they try, the more they toil, the deeper in the trap they fall. Now the Marpel and Nefesh has different approaches. He says, that's not fair. <laughs> Why should the rich people be punished? Because the poor people are acting foolishly. Now, the answer is because they're taking it seriously. You, that's part of your test. Part of your test is to be wealthy and not to, to think that you did this by yourself. And part of the test is not to listen to the flattery that you're getting. See past it. Ignore it. Don't be impressed with it. But the Marpel and Nefesh says, no, no, no. We're talking about the poor people themselves. In the words of the Marpel and Nefesh, because the masses drop the M off the front and because they're behaving so foolishly. Hashem adds, you want to behave foolishly? You want to chase these people because you think they have money and you think that's where your success is going to come from? Knock yourself out. Keep on chasing. And so they're chasing, they're running after them. They're doing nothing for them because that's not where success comes from. And so he says, here, these people are running after profit if we're talking about the poor people, or running after honor if we're talking about the rich people, depending on who we're talking about. And they're getting caught up in their strenuous efforts. In this tragic, sad preoccupation, they're neglecting that which they are actually obligated to be expending the effort to be running after what? To be pursuing what? What should we be pursuing? Not wealth and not honor, not self-aggrandizement, not riches, not fame. None of that. What should we be running after? Another mitzvah. Running after the opportunity to positively impact somebody else, to be able to have the privileges of uplifting somebody who is in need, whether they need love or affection or money or support or friendship. If you have the ability to give and to help, that's the greatest privilege. That's what you should be running after. That's what you should be pursuing. That's where your efforts should be expended. And people forget that. They forget we were put here, my dear friends, in this world not to pat ourselves on the back and to preen ourselves. We're put here in this world to serve Hashem and make a positive difference. And when Hashem gives you the privilege of being able to serve as His benefactor, you thank Hashem, thank you, Almighty God, for giving me the privilege of being able to positively help and impact somebody else's life. The person would spend his life running after that, he'd get what he wants. The one who pursues honor would actually be honored, because Hashem would honor him. The one who pursues wealth by running after and pursuing the Avedas Hashem might actually get the wealth he's looking for, if that's what Hashem desires for him. As the scripture states, and this is from the book of Proverbs in the third chapter, the 16th verse, that this idea of, of, uh, of Torah, of Yiddishkeit, so it says that length of days is at Yemina at the right of the Torah, and wealth and honor is that, so to speak, the proverbial left of the Torah. There you got it. You want you want honor and wealth. 
pursue Avedus Hashem. That's what will give it to you. Va'omar, and it says in the book of Chronicles, Divrayomim, chapter 29, in the 12th verse, Va'oisha va'hakovayd, wealth and honor. Milfanecha, come from before Hashem. And that, my dear friends, is as they say, that's the secret, that's the bees and the birds, this is what it's all about. But there are those who just don't get it. At the beginning of this whole discussion, Rabbeinu Bechaya said that there are people who think that they have to work because only them will be successful and that this, their, their hard work and their wherewithal and their efforts are what provides them with the success they have. However, they're actually making a great big mistake. The extra work is not going to bring you the extra wealth or affluence. If Hashem wants you to have it, then you will have it. And if Hashem doesn't want you to have it, then you won't have it. And as somebody just wrote here, the wealth and influence can be the worst stumbling block. Yeah, it could be. It could also be a wonderful gift, the most beautiful opportunity. It's a choice we have to make. And it all helps to remember that our success and prosperity, that the result of our good fortune or the cause of our good fortune it's not the cause celebrate. It's not the cause everybody thinks. Everybody thinks that the cause is I was smart, I was trained, I was focused, I was diligent. What an Avaidah Hashem? What does Avaidah Hashem? What the service of God do for you in the bank account? Are you kidding? My financial empire, it came from my smarts, it came from my hard work. I am the cause of it all. Absolutely wrong. And so there are those you will find amongst those who seek riches, profit, the money seekers. You'll find me, sometimes you will find somebody who is able to achieve his goal. In the ways that we spoke about. You know, the, the standard, the regular way. He had a good job and he had good training and he worked hard and did all those things. And it seems that that's where his wealth comes from. Somebody else comes in a different way. Pardon me. He got an inheritance. You know, the joke they tell. This little kid says, Zadie, how'd you get so rich? And he says, it was 1917 and I woke up in the morning and I shined an apple. I bought an apple for five cents and I shined it and shined it and shined it and they made it as the shiniest apple in the whole market and that night I sold it for eight cents. Wow, said the boy, what'd you do the next day? And Zadie said, the next day I took eight cents and I bought two apples. I got two for eight cents. And I shined them and shined them and shined them and the next day I sold them both and I got a profit and I had 17 cents. And the boy said, wow, wow, it's amazing. And then what happened? Then he says, Uncle Harry died on less than a million dollars. It's a joke. But it's not a joke. Sometimes people say, how did they get so rich? Well, I got an inheritance. That's how they got so rich. Or some other effort. They won the lottery. Hashem sent money their way. So a person like that will say, 
If not for this, lulehein, if not for the hard work, if not for the, for the good fortune, if not for the lottery, if not for the inheritance, if not that I would be so lucky to meet this person or that person, why am I wealthy? I'm wealthy thanks to this person or that person or, or this thing I did or that thing I did. It's all wrong, Rabbeinu Bachai says. It's just not true. A person thinks, Lulehain, if not for these causes, I wouldn't have anything. And therefore, he, he, he pays homage to, he thanks, and he appreciates the cause without realizing that the cause is just a mindless mechanism. That the cause has been caused by the cause of all causes. And that's the cause behind the mechanism, behind the machine, behind the tool, behind all causes, is the cause called Hashem Yisbarech. And this, of course, brings us into a situation. Mishabeach Hasiba, he praises. Doesn't mean he has to praise somebody. He praises Melachto, he says the Marple and Nefesh. He praises his vocation. He praises his talent. He praises his ability. He praises his hard work. Or his business acumen, Masomatan Shaloi. Without realizing, says Paslechem, who is the Mesaviv? Who is the one person they don't praise? He praises everything and everyone. Who is the one person he doesn't remember? The one thing he doesn't forget, remember to praise. The real cause. Not the cause celebre. Not the cause, the souped up cause. Not what people think is popular. Not what everybody focuses on. The real cause. The real cause. Says the Paslechem, they forget to praise the Creator, blessed be He. Hashem is the one who arranges all causes, the cause of all causes. And this, Mezat Hashem, will continue in the next episode. Bonanza, bitter waters, fascinating, fascinating look, and a beautiful metaphor that Rabbeinu Bechaya will depict for us, explaining and clarifying for us how silly we sometimes are and how wise and intuitive we could all choose to be. Thank you for joining. I hope you found your faith fortified and your trust solidified. I hope that together we will have the ability to see past the smoke and the mirrors and to know the MS Havaya to know the truth that the Rabbeinu Shalom Almighty God has placed us in the right time, in the right place, and that we have the privilege of making the right choices. Let's choose to do the right thing. Let's choose to view the world in the proper fashion. And as a result, in Merzah Hashem, to be Zoycha, to merit the coming of Mashiach, the Mehera will be Amen speedily. And in our days, Amen. Thank you so much for joining. I look forward to your continued participation. Have a beautiful day.